Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to Discover DEP, the official podcast of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Each week, we talk with DEP experts about how we protect and preserve New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. So that you'll never miss one of our podcasts, please subscribe to Discover DEP on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. Today we are joined by Commissioner Bob Martin. Commissioner Martin helped kick off Discover DEP's inaugural podcast on Earth Day, April 2016, and we are delighted to have him back as he gets ready to conclude eight years of service as commissioner, setting a new record for longevity in this position. DEP's core mission, of course, is to protect the air, water, land, and natural and historic resources of the state of New Jersey. And at the same time, DEP plays a key role in positively impacting the economic growth of the state. While DEP's goals have remained the same since 1970 when the department was created, the agency has undergone significant transformation since Commissioner Martin took office in 2010. So thank you, Commissioner, for taking time out here in the closing days of this administration to reflect on the past eight years, what you've accomplished, and we will talk a little bit about what you would say to the department as you depart and a new commissioner comes in. So thanks so much. Great, Bob. Thanks for having me here. Commissioner, eight years is a long time in this job. Few have even come close. One has been left behind now. Commissioner Shin served almost as long as you did. So as you look back on these eight years, what are your thoughts? I mean, first off, I'm glad I'm going to be the longest serving commissioner. I love Bob Shin. Bob and I have stayed in touch over the years. He's always been uh, a mentor to me. So it's been great. And I'm very proud of the fact that I've been able to be in this job for eight years. So it's been absolutely wonderful. You know, looking back over eight years, you know, I still, I still believe, you know, the values of what we've, what we've focused on from day one. You know, the values of this organization of protecting the air, the land, the water, and historic natural resources of the state are still the same. I'm very proud of the work we've done. You mentioned it earlier when you, when you mentioned the introduction on this. You know, we focused on protecting that, and that's my, that's my number one hat every single day. But also, we recognize the fact when I came in office here and when this administration came in, we had to grow jobs. And a big part of the jobs that come from the state of New Jersey our construction jobs and a lot of work that comes from putting permits out and getting permits done, whether we're building infrastructure across the state or we're building new buildings or whatever we're building in the state of New Jersey, DEP plays a key role in that. And so I've been very proud of the fact that we'll be able to do a lot of those things, still protecting the environment, but help grow the state. And I think we've also seen quite a transformation here at DEP, just in terms of its approach to dealing with all the stakeholders across the board, everybody from uh, developers to the environmental community and everybody in between. What was the philosophy behind what drove your efforts at transformation here at the agency? Well, when we first came here, I mean, one of the key things we recognized was, and I went out, I'd go out and speak to the public and I'd speak at different groups. You know, the one thing consistently I kept going through, and I, I joke about it a little bit sometimes, was, you know, the comments I got were a lot of complaints about, you know, I wasn't getting, I couldn't get my permit through. It took forever. I wasn't getting phone calls back. Things like that, that, 
you know, from a, a culture point of view, we had, we had missed that step somewhere along the way. I knew how good the people we had in this organization. This organization, first and foremost, has an incredible number of professionals. You know, I didn't realize that when I walked in the door. But the caliber of people here are tremendous. They, by and large, people here are not like a lot of other state employees. The people who come to the DEP come here because they really want to protect the environment. They really have a knack for the outdoor. They This is something they truly believe in. They have a real sense of mission. They, they come here with a mission every single day. And I didn't appreciate that when I walked in the door. This is not a group of bureaucrats. I, I wouldn't call them bureaucrats. I call them all professionals who focus on the environment and want to continue to do the right thing. And what I realized is what people outside these four walls of DEP didn't realize was the work people do inside here every day. And part of that was our ability to communicate it. We were not communicating well with the outside world. And part of that is, and for me, that's why the transformation played such a critical role in transforming this organization with a cornerstone being customer service because of the fact that we needed to communicate better with the public. We needed them to to listen to us and understand what we were doing and why we were doing things. We need to get back to people. You know, sometimes people had permits in here for years trying to figure out why wasn't my permit getting sorted out. Well, bottom line is what we needed people to do was we need to have that dialogue with them to explain them. And and I, as I told people here, getting permits out the door was important, but they still have to legally meet the requirements for permits. And you know what? No is an okay answer. You can tell people no. And I think that was the hard part for this organization sometimes is telling somebody no. But you know what? Uh, for a lot of organizations out there or businesses out there or towns out there, a fast no is better than a, a long maybe, we might get there or whatever. And that's extremely important. And I think that's what we learned from customer service. And, our, and this organization has really embraced customer service. And I thank them for that. And I think to that point, to the point of communication, communication is always a two-way street. And I have seen in the time that I've been here, not not eight years, but a little over three years, a willingness to listen to what stakeholders are saying as well. It's a di- As you use the word dialogue, and that's important, it's not just DEP telling folks what to do. There's a lot of listening involved as well. Yeah, one of the key things, you hit it right on the head, Bob, is one of the things we identified right at the beginning is that stakeholders are going to play a role here. And so anything we were doing relative to policy, public policy, regulations, changes in any way, shape, or form, we put it, we put a, a diverse group of stakeholders in the room and talked about the issues. And it, was, it didn't mean we we're going to get agreement from everybody. We want to make sure everybody felt like they were being heard and that we were considering all aspects of it. I think the worst thing organizations can do is think they have all the answers inside their inside the building. Well, guess what? They don't, and we didn't at the DEP. But again, we were good listeners, and I think that helped to shape public policy really well. I want to talk a little bit about regulatory reform and cutting red tape. There's been quite a bit of regulatory reform under this administration that you have led. What was the goal of the regulatory reform effort? And cutting, cutting red tape, that's a term we hear all the time. Right. What did it really mean to you? Well, I mean, there were a couple of pieces to that. And as explained to the public early on when I took this job, you know, some of the challenges we had in this organization was getting permits out the door, as I mentioned already, but getting permits out the door that people understood and that we could enforce. So even some of the challenges we had as an organization was getting permits out the door that we all understood and that we could we could effectively, you can't expect somebody to comply with a permit if we don't understand what the permit says and, does, and we can't understand and go and enforce those permits. I mean, the other side of that was we had such, in what's happened over time, just in the last 20 years, you know, we've had over 160 
laws that have been passed at both the federal and state level. Each of those laws has regulations stacked on top of it. And regulatory laws go back another 20 years before that, 25 years before that. And you look at all these rules, they've stacked on top of each other. Well, guess what? Nobody's ever pulled them apart and tried to put them back together again. So when you try to come in here for one permit and you get past that hurdle for, let's say, a freshwater wetlands permit, then you find out you can't get past the flood hazard permit. Once you get past the flood hazard permit, you can't get the CAFR permit. So you get all these permits that don't all tie together. What we try to do is simplify the process, simplify the terminology, make them more effective to be able ability to get those, automate most of these regulations now so that you're able to go in, apply online, get them online, a lot more permits by rule, a lot more general permits versus individual permits. So again, we fixed a lot of that process. We did not lower any environmental standards while doing that. But a regulatory reform makes it easier to get through the DEP regulatory process and provide you got to meet the requirements, you got to meet the law, you got to meet the regulations, but we have not lowered the standards at the same time. So again, I think we've done an effective job there. I think it's a very important point, as you mentioned a moment ago. The challenges the DEP faces today in terms of protecting the environment are not the same as they were when this department was formed in 1970. There's been a lot of progress in terms of the condition of our environment, and we've seen that continue, but not necessarily until eight years ago, a lot of progress in harmonizing the regulations so that they make sense in 2018. What made sense in 1978 does not make sense necessarily the same sense in 2018. Bob, you're exactly right. I mean, and that's kind of a lot of the thinking around kind of shaping the regulations and regulatory reform. And one of the key things we've also looked at is trends. I mean, you, you talk about, you know, 40 years ago in DEP. And again, the things we looked at then while we're still looking at the trends, is the air cleaner, is the water cleaner, is the land cleaner, are our parks and our land being well managed? We still manage all those trends. Those are the most important part of it. Those trends are, but how we do things and what we do is dramatically different. I mean, something very simple like compliance, compliance and enforcement. I mean, there's still people out there that believe that if you don't keep giving out more violations, if you're not giving out enough violations, then you're not doing your job. Well, how about are people complying with the law? And that's what we've tried to do. We still do a lot of violations. We still we still go out and take enforcement actions all the time. We do a lot of inspections. But the goal that we tried to set in something like the, the compliance and enforcement side of the world was to have people comply with the law. That's the number one goal. And so the world has changed from, from 40 years ago. Getting people just to understand and, you know, and meet the law. And so violations were, were significant and had to be to force that kind of change. We're past that. I mean, there are bad actors out there all the time, and we take those enforcement actions. But by and large, right now, getting people to comply with the law is the most important part, and then tying back to looking at the trends of the quality of life in the state of New Jersey is extremely important. Because that's really the true measure of the effectiveness of this department. Is As you mentioned, is the air cleaners, the water cleaners, the land cleaner, are we doing a, a better job protecting our natural and historic resources? All the other stuff is kind of just being counting, right? If, if the state of the environment isn't improving, none of the nothing else really matters. Yeah, just counting widgets doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Counting the the number of violations out there is not a way of counting at the end of the day. And I think that's why for us and for me, you know, which ties back to kind of my business background is you got to measure things by numbers, and that's kind of always been 
the way we've talked about things, you know, at least over the last eight years, are things getting better? And how do you measure it at the end of the day? That, to me, is probably one of the key indicators of, of how it is. Because you can talk all day long. People can say, well, you know, they can make whatever statements they want to make. But until they show you the data, and the only way for me is i got to see it in numbers. I think, and, and then we can show that over time. And it's not something, and I give credit, and I say this a lot too, you know, the, a lot of the trends that have improved, it's not just what we've done over eight years, because that is important what we've done over eight years, but it's also what was done previous eight years and the previous eight years and the previous eight years before that. That to me is what you got to look at over the long haul and have we continued that. And I believe, you know, over the last eight years, you know, we've done an incredibly good job of focusing on those things of the air, land, and water, and they are much better. But we've continued that responsibility at the DEP, and I'm hoping the future DEP continues that trend. I think one of the most dramatic changes we've seen over the past eight years is the improvement in the emissions from power generators here in the state of New Jersey. And a lot of that was driven by the direction that was put out from this agency and BPU in the 2011 Energy Master Plan. No, exactly. One of the things we laid out from day one was an energy master plan that focused on cutting emissions. And, and again, over the long haul, you know, right now we're one of the lowest emitters of SO2 in the country. We're 45th, which is low, which is good. And those kind of numbers, those are good. Same thing with NOx emissions. We're 45th. We're 40th in the country on carbon emissions. So again, by having a power sector that has a large part of it nuclear, and shifted away from coal to natural gas and shifted into renewables as well, we've again have been able to drive our power sector to be very clean and one of the lowest emitting in the country. Of course, one of the unanticipated situations you had to deal with, nobody could have anticipated, was Superstorm Standy, which now five years since that storm hit and not only created enormous damage here in the state of New Jersey, but really had to create a huge shift in focus here at DEP in terms of the recovery from that storm. Tell us a little bit about what you were feeling when that storm hit and how it changed how you were going to have to do your job here at DEP. Well, it's a couple things first, Bob. After Hurricane Irene hit, you know, we learned a lot from that, which is the previous year. And we thought we had, we were ready for the next storm. And we really think that we learned a lot. And we did learn a lot. We thought our preparation was extremely good, and it was. And we did a lot of incredible preparations. And I look at the team we had here at the DEP. They were ready. We were ready on all fronts looking at what was going to happen. And what we didn't expect was something so catastrophic. We never could have anticipated that happening. And so prior to the storm, we were ready. During the storm, we were monitoring. And then flooding started occurring in places that we never anticipated could possibly have ever flooded. The coastline damage was far beyond what we ever expected. Water infrastructure being destroyed, we never expected. The second largest oil spill in the state's history occurred during that storm. So the devastation when we woke up the next morning and had to manage through all that, again, DEP, you know, my role and, and our agency's role was critical to the governor. The governor relied on the work of the DEP right after that storm extensively. And so right after that storm, everything from our forest fire crews out with chainsaws, our teams out spreading across the state, helping towns organize for the cleanup of the state. We had something like 8 million cubic yards of debris, which included vegetative debris, household debris, construction debris, and sand that had to be cleared off the streets and neighborhoods around the state of New Jersey. That cleanup effort was extensive. Mm. We had another, you know, 100 thousand 
cubic yards of material, plus houses, boats, cars that had to be pulled out of the Back Bay areas, plus another 300,000 cubic yards of sediment that had to be pulled out of Barnegat Bay that had washed in. Again, that whole cleanup effort was extensive. On top of all that, you know, when we look at what was happening right after that storm, when you look at water supply, we had 70 drinking water systems that were in trouble and were on emergency power. So we were worried about providing safe drinking water across the state. At the same time, we had over a hundred sewage treatment facilities that were in severe, da- severely damaged and also, and, and several of those still on additional emergency power. You know, PVSC, one of the largest sewage treatment facilities in the country, right up in Newark, went completely underwater. Mm. Underneath the ground there is about a mile long worth of equipment. All their pumps and their electric equipment are all underground. That all just filled up with water. That whole system was wiped out overnight. And what we had to do is we were pumping, you know, up to 500 million gallons a day of raw sewage into the Passaic River right after that storm. We had no choice. You couldn't let it back up in the homes. You couldn't let it back up in the streets. So again, we were dealing with the possibility of a significant health emergency in the state of New Jersey, trying to manage through that. So again, our teams were on top of that. We work with the Army Corps of Engineers. We work with EPA. We work with a lot of other agencies to coordinate and address all those different issues at that point in time. And a lot has been done over the past five years to make New Jersey more resilient uh, in the face of future storms. And with future storms, it's a question not of if, but when. Tell us a little bit about how New Jersey is more resilient today than it was when Superstorm Sandy came ashore. Yeah, one of the major efforts that we've done over the last five years is the focus on resiliency overall. I mean, one of the major resilient areas that we're working on is rebuild. we rebuilt the entire coastline. Uh, when President Obama came to New Jersey and asked the governor what he needed, one of the first things the governor asked for was a full coastal protection system along the coastline. We noticed after Superstorm Sandy that the beach areas that had engineered beaches, both dunes and berms, were, were better protected, and those towns were better protected from those storms. So what we needed was a full coastal protection system. So that's what we asked the Army Corps for. We've got over a billion dollars to do that. And right now, I'm very happy to say that all of that work has either been completed or in the process of being completed. So by the end of 18, we expect that full design to be done. I mean, that also includes two and a half miles of sheet piling revetment that was built in Maniloking and Brick protect that part of the coastline. In addition, you know, the state of New Jersey, through our Blue Acre program, now, to date, we've made almost 900 offers to buy out homes in flood-prone areas across the state. We've closed on over 600 homes to date. So again, that program, and we're spending about $375 million on that, mostly federal money, but some state money as well, to buy out homes so people get a second chance to get away from the areas that got flooded, especially some of the inland areas. People don't really realize all they saw the pictures of the coastline mm-hmm. with all these homes. Some of the hardest hit areas were areas that are inland because of the tidal flooding that came with it. Towns like South River and Sayreville, you know, Munaki and Little Ferry, mm-hmm. areas that typically don't get flooded dramatically like that, got very dramatically flooded overall. The other area that we're working on for long-term resiliency is water infrastructure in the state of New Jersey. As I talked about some of the things PVSC going underwater, well, guess what? All the electrical equipment's been raised. They're building a flood wall around PVSC. Other areas in Sayreville for the sewage treatment facility there, that whole area's been protected and all the electrical equipment's been raised there as well with a flood wall being built there as well. So 
again, the types of things we're building there, and then just the overall water infrastructure of the state. We realize that we need to invest more in it, and since Sandy, we're going to continue to invest more on that front. Yeah, it's quite remarkable to me, having watched much of this from the outside, how DEP not only managed the Herculean task of recovery from the storm, building this protection system along the entire 127 miles of New Jersey's coast, but also continued to do its regular work. Nothing really got shortchanged during that whole period. Yeah, we kept everything running in this place. I mean, though, I mean, honestly, though, for the first three years afterwards, I was spending up to 70% of my time focused on it. And most of the senior team's time was focused on it. But, you know, again, as I talked about this organization being an incredible organization, we kept stuff moving. We kept transformation moving, regulatory reform moving, a lot of other new policy initiatives across the state. We didn't skip a beat right across this organization. And again, shows the level of caliber of professionals we have in this organization that we can do both. We can walk and chew gum. Yeah, pretty extraordinary, really, when you look back on it. So as you look back over the eight years, is there one thing, one accomplishment that particularly sticks out as the one that you're most proud of when you're sitting around years from now telling your grandchildren what you did at the DEP that'll be the first thing on the list that you tell them about? I mean, there's probably, there's several things I'm going to tell them, so I'm not going to do one. <laughs> there, there are four things that I feel very proud about that we've done here. You know, one, we talked about a trans, transforming this organization and, and again, uh, with customer service and an incredible group of people here. Secondly, regulatory reform, ability to fix the regulations of the state that were so broken for so long overall. Three was recovery from Sandy. And it's probably my biggest one was recovery for Sandy would, would be the biggest one. The last one is uh, of the, my top four is the Passaic River cleanup. Again, you know, that's been something that river has been with dioxins polluting that river going back to the 1950s. You know, it wasn't even recognized till the Kane administration, the, the level of dioxins that were in that river and the cleanup necessary. And again, for the first time in 40 years, we now have, have a record of decision with EPA. We've teamed up and make that happen. And now there's a design being done for the lower eight miles of that river where we're going to remove, you know, over three and a half million cubic yards of dioxin out of that river. And there's going to be a capping put on top of that river. So again, bringing back, you know, the river, the Passaic River, and bringing back those communities along that river, to me, makes me very proud. So the steps are moving forward on that front. And the Passaic River is even, you know, it goes all the way back literally to the beginning of industrialization in this country. When Alexander Hamilton came up to Patterson, saw the Great Falls, saw it would be a great location to begin the industrialization of the United States. So the, the legacy, really, of, of more than 200 years of use of that river is extraordinary. And to think that this cleanup that's going to take place and none of that material that's going to be removed is going to be disposed of here in New Jersey is really kind of fulfilling a promise that has been 200 years in the in the making. Absolutely, Bob. And I think it's I think that shows that our resolve from this administration to take on those tough issues and work closely, you know, with Region 2 of EPA. And again, it shows that it wasn't a matter of, of Republican or Democrat or anything like that. It was, you know, both the, the Obama administration and the Christie administration working together to focus on a common goal of fixing the Passaic River, cleaning up the Passaic River. And that, that's extremely important to see those kinds of things happen. So as you get ready to leave this job and move on to whatever comes next, what, what would you say to the folks here at DEP? What would you want them to remember? What would you want them to carry forward as, as they go forward into the future? Well, it's a few things. First and foremost, I want to thank all the people at DEP. When I arrived here, you didn't know me. I didn't know you. And we worked together 
wonderfully through these years. You know, I've had, I've been fortunate to have prior to this, this career, I had a 26 year career in the private sector. It was ap- absolutely wonderful for me. I didn't think I'd be able to top that. And the last eight years has been the best career I've ever had in my life. And I really enjoyed it. And the biggest piece of that was the people of the DEP that made that wonderful. And, and I have to thank them for that. And, and then the second thing is the one thing I continue to, to ask people to do which again, this place is not about whether Bob Martin was here or not at the end of the day. You know, I granted, I hope I provide some leadership over the last eight years and set the direction, but this is not about who sits in this chair as commissioner. It's about this organization and the values this organization has and continues to be and always should be an organization driven by science, data, and facts. It's not, it shouldn't be driven by ideology, shouldn't be driven by politics. And for the last eight years, that's what we've done. We've driven it by the science, the data, and the facts. I guess I I expect that from this organization going forward because that's the kind of people we have here. And I, I guess I ask the people to continue to focus on that mission, protecting the air, the land, the water, and the historic natural resources, just as they've done for the previous 40 years of this and hopefully to the next 40 more and beyond, well beyond that for the DEP. Commissioner, I want to thank you for taking time out. Uh, the clock is ticking, and you've still got a lot on your plate to get done before the new governor and the new commissioner come in. So thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it. You inaugurated this podcast, as I said earlier, on Earth Day in 2016, and, and now we're at the close. And just appreciate so much not only what you have done for us here at DEP, but also over the past, gosh, we're closing in on two years with these podcasts. You mentioned all the fabulous people here. We've talked to more than 80 episodes of this podcast over the past uh, almost two years and have been able to share with folks here at DP and outside the extraordinary talent, commitment, and expertise of the people in this in this department. So uh, thank you also for greenlighting the uh, Discover DP podcast back when that idea came to you. And Bob, I want to thank you for the work you've done. You're the one that brought this idea to me and said, we can make this happen. There's a lot of things to share in this organization. And so I thank you for your leadership on that. This That is extremely important that we're able to share this. And, and you've done, you hit it right on the head. There's so many talented people to bring in to share their stories and their information to others, not just within DEP, with outside DEP as well. So thank you for your leadership on that. And uh, you've done a great job. And this has turned out to be wonderful for the, for DEP and the state of New Jersey. Yeah, what's amazing to me is after more than 80 podcasts, we've still only just scratched the surface of what's going on here. So uh, certainly, I know we all here at Discover DEP wish our successors all the very best luck as they continue to carry on the work that this agency has done so well for so long. So thank you, Commissioner, for being with us. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. And thank you, everybody at DEP, for a wonderful eight years. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.